Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, man, aren't you glad to be in church this morning? Yeah. I've asked uh, somebody you see on stage quite a, a lot, but you might not know her. I've asked Bethia to stay up here and help me with an illustration to kick off this series that we're going to do. We're going to be talking about apologetics, but the, uh, the title of our series is Life in the Tension. Um, is anybody, as you're just walking around in this world right now as a believer, feel like there's any tension? Yeah? I want us to think about something. There's an old illustration that is very helpful, um, but I think it only does part of the job. And so I want you to think about the importance of tension when it comes to music. In order for a note to be played in tune, it has to be under tension, right? And the idea that we have in scripture is that we as believers have a series of things, not only that we believe and hold true, they are the truth from the living God. And you have a culture who does not believe those things, and we're supposed to be in the world and not of it, right? We're supposed to be a part of reaching these folks with these truths, and that is going to result in tension. If a note is under proper tension, uh, it'll be clear. And, and Bethy, why don't you just play a note for us? Can you hear that? I promised AJ I wouldn't give away that that wasn't a real piano up there. She can't actually play it out of tune for you because that's on a synthesizer. But uh, listen to this note. Clear, right? And to the best of your knowledge, for all of you uh, um, non-musicians out there, that's in tune. (laughs) It's important for us to be in the proper, as believers, in the proper tension, the place where we are following the Lord and addressing the culture. And when we're in the proper place, we have a clear note. But I want you to think about this. If there's only one note, and you're just walking down the street, and you run into somebody who's just banging away at their note. Enjoyable? No, I got the truth, I know the culture, just banging away. You want to know what is superior? Now, uh, this is the two parts. One, you've got to be in tune. That's one of the goals of this series. Get in tune. God's truth and understanding the culture and the proper tension that is held there. But the other thing that we want to talk about is we're so individualistic as Americans. You want to know what's far better than just one note banging away in the culture? Is when, when that note is joined by others who are also in tune accord. A run, maybe. Or imagine for a moment that you're walking down the street and you just hear a beautiful piece of music. I want you to just feel what happened in your heart from that one banging away note to the music. When a bunch of people are rightly tuned with the living God and all doing their calling, not playing the same note, but playing what he created them to do in proper tune, 
What happens is music that stops you, slows you down, it calms your heart, and you would ask on the way by, where is that coming from? Where is that beauty coming from? How is that note played? Amen? Can we thank Bethia just for staying out here at the very beginning? Thank you, Bethia. By the way, she is one of those wonderful examples of somebody that you may not take time to get to know, but whose gift blesses our entire church. Amen? Life in the tension. There is a proper tension that we will have if we're rightly in tune with God. And congregation, this is my desire. Not just that you would be right, but that every single person in here would play the note that they were called by God to play at the right time, in the right place, listening to the orchestration that's set out by God, not you. Playing according to his plan at his time. That is our goal so that a culture will stop and say, Where is that beauty coming from? That's our series. Now, I hope we can live up to it because Bethia does a better job than I do speaking, okay? But I want us to grab onto something that is bigger than all of us, and that's truth that comes from the Word of God. So 1 Corinthians is where we're going to start this series. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And Paul gives away a little bit of his practice When he came to a group of people, remember when you hear from the the book of Corinthians, this is how Paul spoke to people who were carnal even in their early stages of belief. Carnal means fleshly. They were focused on their own will and desires and they couldn't hear other people. And Paul tells them, this is how I came to you. This is how I reached out to you. This is what was in my heart when I presented the gospel that you responded to. Let's see just a little bit of his apologetic that he gives them. Let's stand and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 together. Paul says this, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness in fear, in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with demonstrations of the Spirit's power, so that, he bottom lines it here, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Do you believe there's a message in there for us this morning? You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, as uh, we look at this passage, I pray that you would tune our hearts to you. That in a culture that is overwhelming, uh, bitter, acidic, that we would not be the same. That there would be an intentionality behind the way that we reach out, but also grace. That they would sense your love and your goodness in the midst of, Father, a generation that has very little of those things to offer. We pray that you would use us to advance the gospel your way with your heart. Father, give us insight into how to do that well, to play chords and music according to your direction. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now this week, what I really want us to get is not so much the information as the tone. Three things I want you to see In these five verses, as Paul's talking about how he was reaching out to a group of people that were wicked and then were carnal, he's still reaching to them. How did he bless them with the message of the gospel? 
Three things we're going to look at. The first one is, he says, no grandstanding. If you're going to proclaim proclaim Christ in a post-Christian era, there's no grandstanding. He uses two words here, uh, statements. They're translated as idioms or phrases here in verse 1. It says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be brilliant to be a Christian? All right? Now, some of you are brilliant. I want you to know this. And it's not that uh, we don't want you to be smart, but a child can understand the gospel. And if you can't explain it in a way that the a child could understand it, you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what it is that you actually believe. Incredible depth. But he says, I didn't come to you with brilliance of speech. Um, this idiom that's used here in the Greek, it's really in, in, uh, an interesting word, uh, phrase, brilliance of speech, literally playing to the crowd, playing to fear, or playing to their prejudices. Uh, this comes out of a, a commentary. The idea here is that the audience would be king. So you are looking at a group of people, and just imagine, if you could, pause for a moment, think about our culture. Are there people who look at the fears that are in the room, and they just play to those and say, you're afraid of this, and you're afraid of this, and you're afraid of this, follow me, Right? Or they look at your prejudices and they double down on that. Or they look at what it is that you are concerned about in the world and they just grab onto those things. And instead of making them better or giving you a solution, they magnify the problem and say, follow me. I'll help you out of this. No real plan. But brilliance of speech. They know exactly what it is that is in your heart that you're afraid of or overwhelmed by. And they tell you, you're right to be afraid. You're right for all of these things. And they just play up. Focused on the audience. The audience in that method is king. But he says, I didn't come with the brilliance of speech or wisdom. Wisdom literally overwhelming people with force of personality, disdain, or a torrent of arguments. By the way, I lean into uh, Tim Keller in both of these uh, analogies. Uh, A guy who... Uh, I, I grieve his passing, uh, and a great apologist, but uh, these thoughts are similar to those that he would put on display. Overwhelming people with force of personality, it's the opposite of pandering to the crowd. It's you looking at a group of people from a position of superior um, You've already logically worked out all of the details, and you're in essence looking at the people and saying, why are you so stupid? All right? Anybody said that to you? There are a group of people out there who would look at you and say, if you only thought like I did, acted like I did, were as polished as I am, you would be right. The speaker is king there. Paul says, I didn't come in a way where I was just trying to butter you up. I didn't come in a way where I looked at you and I was domineering over you. But I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wanted to put the audience in a place, not where they were king or he was king, but where Jesus is king. There's a man uh, a little while ago that, uh, great speaker, uh, amazing communicator, uh, Dave Burkett. Um, He wrote a little article and then a book called When Bad Christians Happen to Good People. 
And in there, he says, as I'm sharing my faith, I want people to be able to see Jesus and not just my arguments. I don't want them to be badgered into the kingdom. I want them to be blessed into it. And he wrote something he calls the Unbelievers Bill of Rights for people on the street that are not believers in Christ. And I think it's great for the Northwest. He said this, he said, as an unbeliever, I have the right to never have faith forced on me. I have the right to never be treated in a condescending manner. I have the right to always hear the truth. I have a right for you to patiently hear my concerns and doubts. I have the right to seek answers to those questions and doubts that you cannot answer. By the way, as a believer, do you secretly ever still have doubts? If you're honest, there are moments where you say, I don't know how this measures up with what I'm thinking in my head or how is that going to meet the culture? Unbelievers have the same struggles, only they start there. I have the right to be steered to resources for my own study and investigation. And I have the right to be loved no matter how I respond to the gospel message. When you are sharing your faith, do others feel like you will love them no matter what? Let me say this. We, we struggle sometimes with this unbeliever's bill of rights. We struggle with it because we want to pound the truth into the people around us, don't we? Anybody ever felt that way? If I could just take the throat by the, or the culture by the throat, give them a little shake and force them to think this way, how's that work with your kids? You know the well-adjusted kids? If you're a well-adjusted kid in this room, you want to know one of the things that you were given as a gift? Is that as you were kind of being who you were, there was gentle guidance to that direction, sometimes thoughtful control applied. But if you really are well adjusted, it's because as you were working through all those things, you were given the gift of having those questions, but thoughtful direction was administered to you. The point isn't about the struggle. The point is if the truth is true and they're really seeking it, the truth will find a way forward. Jesus is the truth. So I didn't come to you with brilliance of speech, wasn't playing on the crowd, I didn't come in a domineering way. Um, it, it'd be encouraging for you to look up, uh, Tim Keller actually has four different ways that you can speak to the culture. One is sender-oriented with the message at the center. Um, that means that the speaker is um, telling you everything that he knows and is the emphasis and the message is on display. That's a traditionalist. A sender-oriented but context-centered. Uh, so I'm the most important thing in the room, but I understand who you are. That would be the manipulator. Receptor-oriented, that's the audience, right? But message-centered, that's the preacher. Or D, receptor-oriented, context-centered. So focused on you and focused on your situation, no real answers. That is the accommodator. When we think about right and left thinking, even within Christianity, we have um, item A, sender-oriented, message-centered. That's that traditionalist. That's where we bang away at our truth, no matter what anybody in the room is thinking. Or we tend to be on the left, receptor-oriented, context-centered. We're not willing to go to truth. We just want to let everybody know that we care. Neither of those bring people closer to the Lord. They bring them closer to us or they help the, us feel more empathetic. 
But the key is when you feel like you are understood, but you hear the message of the truth put in words that you can wrap your mind around. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, understand the people that are around you and give them the gospel in a way they can, they can take it in. No grandstanding. But a second thing that Paul said is, it's not just no grandstanding, but no God. He says this, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What can he possibly mean by that? I, I came to you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, uh, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. So he says, I'm actually coming in a place where I was a little bit shaken. If you look in the book of Acts, when Paul comes to the Corinthians, he's just come from Athens where he is preaching those great messages to a group of people that were religious but not following Jesus. He's preaching to them about an unknown God and he shares and there's all kinds of attack that happened to him from brilliant people in Athens. He leaves Athens after a great period of time with only two people responding to his gospel message. The church that was founded there, there is still a stone you can go to. To this day, you can see where the church at Athens was actually founded and the story, the plaque of when Paul preached his Mars Hill message, it's still there. Believers, from all around the world, come there and see where it was that he preached and was rejected. But he comes into Corinth and he's been shattered a little bit. He says, I'm overwhelmed, I'm concerned. Um, Galatians 4.13 in your notes, uh, you can just turn there uh, on your own. But this happened to Paul over and over again. He comes in weakness. He says, I was overwhelmed and I was sick. I was hurting. God is the one that will steady your nerves as you are sharing with a broken group of people, people who are hurting uh, or who have turned away. But he says, I decided to know nothing among you except uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is an interesting phrase and some have taken this uh, the wrong way. Sometimes when we hear this phrase preached, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, it was the idea that you would restrict everything you say to just Jesus. That's the old Jesus is the answer shirt, right, that you could wear. The people classically would respond, well, what was the question? As you look around in your culture, you can answer just Jesus in there. We can use Christianese for that. We've transferred that from just Jesus to the gospel. Well, you just need to know the gospel. You need to be aware of the gospel. You need to uh, live the gospel. And we just have these short phrases. We put them into bumper stickers. But what does that mean to somebody who doesn't know that the gospel means good news? And if I'm going to tell you the good news, it's a whole story about Jesus coming for those who had rejected him. Gospel isn't just a word. It's not just a band-aid that you stick on a problem. It is the truth that transforms a life and will change your future. Amen? It takes more than a few words to explain. He says, I knew nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. God's emphasis is not on restricting what you say just to Jesus. It's on expanding what you see. Can I ask you this? For the people that you are working around, that walk along and they come in, they're going to come in Monday. If you're fortunate enough to work in a place where there's a lot of cubicles, all right, you're going to see them shuffle their way to a Monday morning job. And what are they going to be saying? Oh, I'm so glad it's Monday. I've been waiting to get to work. 
There's nothing like a heap of papers and stuff. I want to answer all these emails. I just love irritated bosses. Is that what they're saying? No, they're like, man, it's Monday. They're shuffling along. They're irritated. They've been listening to talk radio. They've been watching the news. They've had an amazing weekend where they could get out in the sun and do something fun and not think about all of the ways that the world is falling apart and they're shuffling to that place discouraged and overwhelmed. When he says, I I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ, what would Jesus say to the person in the cubicle next to you? What would Jesus say to that mom whose kids are tired from all of the candy and ice cream of sunny days on Saturday and Sunday and she's trying to shop She's got kids in tow, and they're screaming at Winco. Anybody ever had that happen? I'm just actually saying that because I'm reflecting a little bit on a personal experience I had, and it wasn't fun. Kids grabbing for treats, a fight with your spouse, an irritation with what's happening. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus, and what he means by that is not that I just restricted my words to just love Jesus. He began to think about what would Jesus say to a culture that is broken and hurting? What would he say in this moment? Instead of getting on my pedestal and telling you all the things I've been storing up to share with you about my opinions and what's wrong with the world and all these things, instead of adding to your irritation, what would Jesus say to that person right now? What is the word that is fit for the moment? What would Jesus say to your neighbor? If you right now in your head were to say, I'm thinking of an individual, what does God want them to hear? There's an interesting, uh, an author was walking through old King James words, Um, had a whole list of them. It was really uh, captivating to listen to the uh, different, uh, different words that we no longer use in our English. Do you know that English has changed a little bit? Pick up an old King James Bible, you'll see that. But in 1 Timothy 1, verses 5 and 6, it actually has a discussion in our uh, Bible that we're reading right now. It says, now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But some have departed from these and turned aside, and here's the phrase, to fruitless discussions. Uh, The old King James word was to vain jangling, all right? It's a pretty amazing word, and once again, it's an idiom, but it has this idea that you're walking in the marketplace, and there are all these people who are hungry to be able to make money to feed their families, and the idea of vain jangling is a guy that's walking down the street, and you can hear in his pocket all of this metal clanging. It's just clanging and banging around, and it sounds like he's just loaded with coins, and he's at the market and ready to go, but you discover later his pocket's filled with bottle caps. He's jangling that. He's trying to bargain as if he's going to give you uh, a deal. Vain jangling is that it's a lot of wrangling around, but no blessing to the people in need. How does that apply to what Paul was saying even there? He's saying that when you're focused on love from a pure heart and a good conscience, he says you actually have something for the individual that will bless them. You're not just rattling around all of your ideas. You're not just jangling that you're righteous, okay? That you're blessed. You're not just virtue signaling to all of the world. Here's where the right position is. You see the need of the heart that's right there and you offer them something that God would offer them. What is it that they need? 
So Paul says, I didn't come to you with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Listen to those words. I didn't come to you. It wasn't the speaking that impacted you. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. And I'm not just vain jangling. I'm not just saying, here's all the the positions you should take. He said, I know who you are. I think I know what God would have you understand. So I want you to to do something. I'm going to play a video. Now, I want you to hear this. Some of you are listening to me right now. Some have already checked out. I love you still. There's no sound. Is it possible for us to thoughtfully engage with a series of statements without having somebody pound it in, butter it, or do anything else? Is it possible for just truth to be able to resonate in our hearts to say, I get the point? So I'm going to play this video as an illustration. Let's pause it right there. I want you to notice a couple of things. In an age that is filled with noise, music, some kind of other support, is it a little uncomfortable to just quietly think thoughts that might be of God? 
it is hard for us not to have some other noise. But also, is it possible to communicate truth without shouting? Is it possible to make observations that will stick? If you want that printed out, we'll make that available during the course of this next week. But here's the point that Paul's trying to make. He said, it's not about all of this stirring up here, lighting things on fire, making grand points, or forcing people to an opinion. He said, I'm just laying out for you who Jesus Christ is, and the result is an impact that has transformed your life. No grandstanding, no God, but also know the goal. I'm going to say uh, both of these points together because they make one complete thought. I just want to touch on both of them very quickly as we wrap up our time. Paul's indicating here, he says, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. He says, when you look back and you run into a problem, I don't want you to think, try to think, you know, what would Paul say or what were the arguments or how did I get here? I want you to know God and understand he'll guide you in that moment. A spirit-filled case for Christ in a critical age leads to a confident conviction that does not crumble in those who hear. First thought, a spirit-filled case for Christ in a critical age I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians there, and on your own, you can read it. Remember, we look for those sections that get indented and bold uh, in our Bibles. Why? Because he's assuming you can see that his argument is drawn from some other piece of Scripture. Even Paul does this. And he's quoting a passage, I'll read it to you here, Isaiah 52. When he says... um, My preaching was not with persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What is the demonstration of the Spirit's power? Uh, The first one that everybody in the culture runs into, it's you. You got saved because the Spirit of God moved in your heart and you said yes to Jesus Christ, amen? And this is a shocking miracle. We downplay it, sometimes we don't believe it's a miracle. But in Isaiah 52, there's a statement, it says, see my servant is speaking about Jesus. He will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you. His appearance is so disfigured that he did not look like a man. His form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For they will see what had not been told to them. And they will understand what they had not heard. People that are far outside that haven't heard any of the rest of the story will see the truth about Jesus and it'll register as true. That's a miracle. When he says, I didn't come in here banging drums and doing all these things, he says, because when the spirit of God moves that truth into your heart and you register it as true, you will know you weren't manipulated, but the truth had set you free. The truth sets you free, and that's what you can share, and that's what you can bank on. Spirit-filled case for Christ in a critical age leads to confident conviction that doesn't crumble in those who hear. I could offer you a lot of things, but I can only this morning think of, of one, my own story. There was a man who allowed me to struggle. Uh, was the first guy that really convicted me um, with scripture and kindness combined. Really showed me what Paul was saying here. He was an older man, Don Milligan, 
he was in his 70s when I met him, heading into his 80s. Every single time that he would come and preach at a church, and he preached all over the place, he would say, can I please spend a little bit of time with the students, with the youth? Uh, Don only grew hair on the front part of his head. And he would flip it all the way back. I don't know if anybody in here, don't look at your neighbor right now, but we're prone to covering up the bald, right? So he would flip that all forward like he was some kind of crazy Tykowski, and he would begin to play hymns like they were battle hymns, and he would have all of these different ways. We grew up in a really fundamental church. So somebody with, you know, fair to middle in eyesight would try to bang their way through a hymn in the middle of the congregation before the preacher would preach, and sometimes it was a little wild. Don was a concert piano player. He could play. And as he would play, he would begin to tell us about following the Lord. But he also would begin to speak to us truths about Scripture and say, you may struggle with this or that. And he would tell us his testimony. And I can remember Don at one point looking at me in my own life and just telling me, Justin, you're responsible for people that follow you. You're acting a certain way. And they're listening to you and you're not paying attention to it. And the result is that they're copying the way that you are doing life and you're responsible for where they head because they're following you. You don't get to choose whether or not you're a leader. You just choose where you're taking those individuals. I was conviction. So I did the most natural thing. I needed to know more from Don and I dropped, I was given the job to drop off my brother and sister at school. We, my mom and dad had transferred us to a Christian school hoping that some reasonableness would get caught in the process. I dropped them off at school and I stole the family car and drove down to uh, two hours away, down to Medford. That's where Don lived, Grants Pass. I just showed up at his house. I can remember sitting there with Don. It's in the middle of a school day. I hadn't told anybody. There's no cell phones at that time. I was really thankful for that. <laughs> and I can remember saying, Don, I want to follow Christ, but I, I just, I struggle. If I follow Christ, do I have to be a legalist? If I follow Christ, do I have to say these kinds of things? If I follow Christ, I had all of these different issues. I'm working through. What do I believe about the Bible and science? It was really uh, a burgeoning, um, you know, apologetic at the time. All of these different issues that were coming up in my mind. And Don says, this is what I'm asking you to consider. You need to love Jesus and he'll walk you through the rest. Didn't get mad at me for the struggles. Didn't get mad at me for the issues that I was facing. He just said, you have to walk it forward, but you need to hang on to truth of Jesus Get your truth from this book and the rest of it will fall into place. He gave me room to struggle and that gave me confidence that the truth would actually see me home. It was a gift to me. If I could plead with you, Salem Heights, for anything in this day and age. The culture around you doesn't know anything other than irritation. They're irritated with each other. They're irritated with everything that they see. They're irritated with you. But if you would just consider Jesus Christ and be in tune with him, play the music at the right time when he says it's time to do it. Our culture, instead of feeling attacked or invaded, they're gonna pause when they hear the beautiful heart music that comes from the living God and they're gonna say, where did that come from? And you will be able to share with them the truth of Jesus Christ, amen? 
The goal in the end is that Christ would fill the heart. Scripturally speaking, the mind and the emotions, the will of the individual, that Christ would do it and that he would see them forward. May we be those kind of people. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us in this season to do those things and to do them well. Not be bombastic, not attack those that are around us, but Father, be able to see them where they're at, the struggles that they're facing, that the tone of our conversation would be one that has compassion and love, but also, Father, that believes that there is truth. If we are not rightly adjusted to Jesus Christ, if we have not put our faith in him, and eternity is in the balance, so Father, let us be hungry to meet a broken world with the truth of Jesus. Put us in tune. Not uptight, so tight that we're discordant. Father, help us to play each note at the right time from your hand. Help us as a church to be a picture of that beautiful music. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.